0: Welcome back, gals, ghouls, and badass days of the world. I am your co-host, Cass Clark, and as always, I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Ryan C. Bradley. Hello. (laughs) We also have uh, baby Sid on the podcast, too. (laughs) Thank you, also, Blaine, for joining us.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: And today, we are talking all things Halloween, uh, specifically Halloween H20, and Ryan's going to kick us off with going through the Halloween franchise history, which is uh, a trip to go on.
2: Yes, so uh, the Halloween franchise spans 12 films. The series also includes novels and graphic novel tie-ins. But for our purposes today, we're going to focus just on the films. So Halloween, 1978, directed by John Carpenter, written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hale, arguably the first slasher. I'm not going to argue the point, because there's a lot of other ones people put forward. It was heavily influenced by Psycho, uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho in 1960, Peeping Tom, 1960 by Michael Powell, A Bay of Blood, Mario Bava, among other Jiali, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1974 by Toby Hooper, and Black Christmas, directed by Bob Clark. According to John Squires over at Bloody Disgusting, Clark and Carpenter had a conversation about what Clark would do if he were ever to make a Black Christmas sequel. And Clark wanted out of the horror game, but he said that he would have Billy escape from a mental institution and he would call it Halloween. Although Clark doesn't like say he inspired Halloween. If you ask him in interviews, it sounds like he's very much like that was like a very basic idea, and then John Carpenter made a movie out of it. But never forget Hill. Deborah Hill. We gotta yes. mention her. <laughs> so they made Halloween. It was great, classic film. Halloween two came out in 1981. Carpenter and his co-screenwriter slash producer Deborah Hill didn't want to do a sequel with Michael Myers, so they scripted the film and they gave it off to Rick Rosenthal, um, who also directed another Halloween later down the line. And it picks up exactly where the first left off with Michael Myers stalking Lori through a hospital. It introduced the idea that Michael and Lori were siblings. And it ends with Michael and Dr. Sam Loomis, who's one of the series mainstays, dying in a gigantic explosion. Well, supposedly dying. And it sets up for a series of anthology films set in Haddonfield on Halloween. And the first of those and the last of those was Halloween Three: Season of the Witch, It's the only film in the franchise without Michael Myers. It's written and directed by Tommy Lee Wallace, who edited the original Halloween and would go on to direct the It miniseries. It starred Tom Atkins, who investigates a plot by the Silver Shamrock Corporation to murder kids with masks in an irritating song. It has a very bleak ending. Neither critics or the studio were a fan at the time. It's, since it's been reevaluated by fans, people really love it. But they brought back Michael Myers to the next film because of that, but they couldn't get Lori Strode back. The next film is Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. It's the first film where John Carpenter and Deborah Hill are not involved. And Lori is dead off screen when the film starts. And we're following now her daughter, Jamie Lloyd, played by Daniel Harris, who goes on to be in a bunch of Halloweens, including the Rob Zombie remakes. It's directed by Dwight H. Little and written by Alan B. McElroy, and it ends with Dr. Loomis trying to shoot Jamie, who he believes is pure evil, like Michael. Okay, so that's Halloween 4. Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers in 1989, directed by Dominique Othan and Girard. It introduced the concept of the Cult of Thorn, which compels Michael to kill his bloodline, and there's a telepathic link between Michael and Jamie in that one. And then Halloween. The Curse of Michael Myers came out in 1995, directed by Joe Chappell and written by Daniel Ferrans. It's the final film appearance of Donald Pleasence. It also starred a young but still identical Paul Rudd. and kind of developed further the cult of Thorns storyline. Halloween H20, 20 years later, which we're gonna focus on mostly today, came out in 1998. It was directed by Friday the 13th series Veteran, directed by Steve Miner from a screenplay by Robert Zappia and Matt Greenberg. And it kind of erases the previous three films and resurrects Laurie, who faked her death, and starts a new continuity. After that one came Halloween Resurrection 2002, kind of erases the ending of Halloween H20. This one's probably pretty notable because Laurie actually gets killed by Michael on camera, directed by a returning Rick Rosenthal, who directed Halloween 2, written by Larry Brand and Sean Hood. And basically, a reality TV show is being filmed at Michael's childhood home. Critics hated it, and it didn't perform very well. And after that, they basically said, fuck it, and decided Rob Zombie was gonna take over. Rob Zombie directed two Halloween films, 2007 and 2009, Halloween, Halloween Two. These were very big while I was in college, really fun, very bloody, both written and directed by Rob Zombie. And the second one has a very notable dream sequence. And then after Halloween Two, 2009, it was nine years before we saw Michael Myers again. Halloween 2018 kind of does the same thing as H2O and erases the continuity all the way back down to one. Even Halloween 2 doesn't happen in this new continuity. It's directed by David Gordon Green, written by Jeff Fradley, Danny McBride, and the director, David Gordon Green. It's the first of the Blumhouse uh, Halloween movies. And three generations of Strode women face off against the returning Michael Myers. I really like this one a lot. And they also brought back John Carpenter to do the music. Halloween Kills was also directed by David Gordon Green written by Scott Teams, Danny McBride, and the director. It really split horror Twitter in half with a lot of extreme reactions. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a Star wars moment where uh, some people really love it and some people hated it. I have no interest in re-prosecuting this film after <laughs> seeing the, the reactions the first time. <laughs> and then Halloween ends, we'll end that trilogy. And we'll probably talk about that one a little bit at the end as well.
0: Yeah, that's a good good idea. Well, are we ready to talk Halloween H2O before? Yes, please. (laughs) Uh, uh, I love this film so much, so much. For me, when I think of like the Halloween franchise, I think of Halloween, Halloween 2, Halloween H2O, and everything else is just its own separate little box. And I love thinking of it this way because I love to see Lori's journey from just being kind of a shy bookish teen and then fighting for her life and then becoming stronger and stronger and then going through some really hard things. And we actually see her struggling. She's a functional alcoholic as like said very often by her son and his friends, which is a, which is a take. And she has to get through some, some things to then conquer her demon. And at the end of the movie, like things are mostly okay, but it doesn't make it seem like the fight was for naught.
1: Everything you just said really, makes this stand out from the rest of the franchise just um not simply because of the you know standalone storyline but because of the really in-your-face results of trauma it's not all cute and flashbacks it's seeing things it is dealing with functioning out functioning alcoholism yeah. it is you know familial relationships torn apart uh as a result of this trauma and you know in an inability to face it head on um whether by choice or not and so i really just love that aspect of it the humanizing aspect of this film along with just i mean uh, everything like the cinematography, <laughs> so the camera lens, the the beautiful colors, the performances, the writing fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I don't think a single person in this movie underperformed. and I don't think there were there was any overacting either. There wasn't mm-hmm. as much camp to this movie as in the rest of the franchise. And I think that is what, Especially after two, three, four, five, and six, bringing it back to that almost the warm tones of the first movie, mm, um, yeah. and and giving that like safety almost that the misleading sense of safety, yeah, like from a boarding school. It's fall, all the beautiful colors. It's Halloween yeah. time, you know, and then boom basically it turns into a cage match (laughs) when Laurie locks herself in the campus with Michael Myers and it's beautiful plus plus guys let's talk about the importance of rappers in horror (laughs) perfect in every way oh my goodness
0: I love I love this character so much especially because I'm a big fan of just having like little asides for your like side characters. That's just their own little self-contained stories that I think a lot of people just edit out and they're just like, oh, there's just like the security guard. The fact that he's just on the phone with his wife the whole time in the film and just talking about his like the novel process and what he's trying to like do with his career as a writer. It's fantastic. It is just so heartwarming.
1: (laughs) I just love so much too, that you've got this badass rapper who's like known for being hard and everything. And he like owns his masculinity so much by wanting to be an erotic writer yeah. and like reading to his wife these beautiful like beautiful uh in your own you know eyes I guess uh prose <laughs> to her and like he's wooing her with his own writing and they have this beautiful relationship of like she's all frustrated because he keeps like getting her all hot and bothered and then has to go do his job oh my gosh and they're adorable I love Again, the humanizing of everybody and and giving a little more backstory and making these full characters as opposed to kill targets.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ryan, what are your some feelings? Have you just went on a whole like feeling session for <laughs> <laughs> So
2: I think that LL Cool J was also my favorite character. I think hearing his erotica was hysterical and heartwarming.
0: Those round melon um, breasts. <laughs> <laughs> That's worth
1: uh, it. To me, that line, round melon breast coming out of LL Cool J's Mask, I will buy 18 copies of this movie just for that.
2: And I love that his girlfriend pushes him to specify because there's different types of melons.
0: It's a great question. It's a great one. (laughs) It's a great
2: question. It's good writing advice. Yeah, I think for me, what sticks out the most is what you all already mentioned about how this film really deals with the trauma of what someone will go through because Lori was a teenage girl who had a bunch of her friends murdered, if not in front of her. If she directly saw the results. She was chased by this horrible man. And then the next night in the hospital it just happened again.
0: Yeah. And she learns like the, the person responsible for it is someone related to her. And there's Certainly. that like inherited trauma too of just being like, it does not quite in this direction, but we see some aggression in Lori and Halloween H2O in like, some of her battling if she is also a monster. Like I think they tease it out in a very unique way in this film where we see that play out with her and her son, like her controlling and, and at times a bit domineering like effects that she's processing and going through, which I think is a lovely touch too. Cause like she has to feel very conflicted about the fact that her brother's a, a serial killer and also wants to kill her. It's very complicated to process. I don't know if I could.
1: <laughs> no, and yeah, and the way the way she is, I guess, successful. I mean, through all of this, I mean, she faked her own death. She now has a beautiful son who is very hot. Um, and, and she's you know, the headmistress of a boarding school. She's done a lot for herself. However, while that is a success in its own right, she's not given the space or the, or the time to really process what has happened to her. And it really seemed like you just... Gosh, just again, it comes back to these are real humans and, and the writing of this is beautiful. And I think it helps too that Jamie Lee Curtis was sober. I think she had just um, yeah. become sober before filming this. And so the the layering of real life with this character who she'd become so closely tied to it had to have been a very emotional experience because it comes through uh, the screen
0: yeah and she was a huge part of the production being made too like she was the one that like pitched it to the production team at the time because now it's like kind of (laughs) it feels weird to say but back then in like 1998 this had never been done before in horror you never had a legacy horror movie bringing back a good chunk of the original cast as much as I could and doing a revival it hadn't been done and she's like I want to do this and I want to finish Lori's story and tell it my way the one funny caveat I love to mention is that the studio only allowed her to kill Michael on screen at, if she would agree that more like Halloween films would be made and she's like okay fine but I want nothing to do with them and then that's why she dies like at the top of uh, Halloween resurrection yeah yeah immediately on screen and that was like written into her contract basically And she has gone on record saying, I mean, now she's kind of changed her tune because uh, marketing a movie is hard. (laughs) Um, But at the time, after Halloween Resurrection, she was just like, I will never do another Halloween movie again unless there's like a big fucking payday. and I'll donate it all to charity, but it has to be a big fucking payday. And that's something that I think like, just demonstrates like, and explains how much she loves this franchise and this character. and I think that all comes through in the film.
1: The love that, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, I mean, in conjunction with the original cast and crew and everything, just poured so much heart into this franchise from the get. And regardless of how many of the original people were involved in the sequels and remakes and whatnot, anything involving Halloween just has that special like glow about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. This- And maybe that just comes from we grew up with this series or this franchise we it's always been a part of our lexicon of our, uh, you know repertoire and so of course it's going to have a special place in our hearts but. To me, everything that the original people put into the first Halloween, somehow by the grace of Carpenter, I guess, there's still this love in each of the films. And I just, uh, there's no, there's nothing like it. I mean, if you, if you look at any other franchise, for me, there's not that same love in each film.
0: Yes, I think what I really love about the, I know you mentioned the glow and visually it's something you were saying earlier that I was just like sitting on. It's rare that we don't have that much daylight horror. Some of it is coming back, I think, into fashion thanks to like Midsommar, you know, which is fantastic. But this is a film that a lot of like the more horrific like set pieces happen either, if not in broad daylight, in well-lit places. Like it's not afraid to shed light literally onto its gore. And I think that's something that I just wish we saw more in horror films because it's effective. And it's like you said, it's unsettling in the same way that the first Halloween film was unsettling where insidiousness of it is that it's happening at a time that just feels so ordinary. And everyone else is oblivious to that. Just like run of the mill day. Like someone's hiding yeah. behind the hedges and now you're like, Oh God, is there someone behind my hedges? <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's fantastic. Well,
1: and that's um, in this film, especially the rest stop scene mm-hmm. that will always stand out to me as one of the like more chilling scenes because who doesn't go to like a rest stop or something like that and um you know especially one where it's not very populated or, or something and you're just like anything could happen here and nobody knows i'm here and then michael Myers shows up and that's darn kid with the spiders <laughs> scared the crap out of me oh she's so cute but yeah the daylight of it all is really great and it's a callback to the first um, movie too where somebody could very well just be watching you from your backyard and it's it's so delicious (laughs) Mm -hmm. I love that that chilly feeling that you get when you're like oh no this this isn't just a movie like that's I guess how they get you that's how they reel you in to really um, take you down in your nightmare. (laughs) Oh, we have to talk about Miss Norma. Um... Every
0: time Norma Watson, AKA acted by Janet Lee, mama to Jamie Lee Curtis, every single time Norma came on screen, (laughs) I just like loved shouting like, bye mom, hey mom. Yeah, (laughs) right? Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. And like, that's how you do a cameo where like we all know in like the horror world, who she is, why she's there, how they're connected. And they, there is still that like maternal like relationship between them on the screen. Like I love the moment where they do um, it's like this Aaron Sorkin walkthrough during the like mm-hmm. school quarters, and she just like slams the door on Norma, and I was like, and you can't imagine just a little bit of like cheeky Jamie Lee just
1: (laughs) be like "Ah mom there's that moment between them Janet Lee says if I can be maternal for a moment (laughs) if my breath just catches in my chest I'm like "Ah, I love them together and like you know knowing what Jamie Lee Curtis is going through at the time and her recovery and like knowing that their relationship has been rocky in real life and that they had come back together at this time the whole like all of the emotions are right there on screen which is so fantastic because that was a wink to the horror you know lovers of the world but it was also you don't need that backstory you don't need that behind the scenes knowledge to really feel that intimacy and that power behind it and that's just that's true acting and it's art
2: i love the maternal line
0: so i would love to talk about, I know mean, we mentioned it briefly, when we were like, ah, this would be so good. Um, I will, <laughs> It's hard, this is like one of those movies where I feel like the more I like a film, I'm like, wow, I'm so in- like incapable of talking about it because I get so yes. excited. It's, it's like, where do I start? Yeah, it's like I start sweating because start are all my sentences combined. <laughs> uh, it's it's a great feeling, highly recommend. <laughs> but I, I would love to dig in a bit into how we feel about how this film handles Laurie's Stewart as a mom. Because conversely, I don't think the David Gordon Green trilogy does it well for a number of reasons that I can share later, but I would love to see what we think about how this film shows Laurie as a mother and how that affects like how she engages with the world and and her son and her her own trauma and her relationship with Will
1: Brennan. I just want to start off by saying that I really, you know, agree with you, Cass, that the maternal relationship in this movie I feel is more accurate as opposed to the David Gordon Green relationship just because she's hovering I mean she's she's the classic helicopter mom and it's completely under understood the secrecy of it all the tension of it all it rings so much more true to real life as opposed to going gung-ho gun and you know uh just going Rambo I can understand that that is definitely what a dude would think a mom would do you know (laughs) um like you're a monster mom monster bear mom and you know in the woods shooting things um but truly like this iteration of laurie as this hypertension type a like secrecy dual life functioning alcoholic like that rings more true and seeing the, the big screaming scene in town between John and Laurie where John finally says I'm not responsible for you yeah. that is where it was like oh that's a traumatized mom and son relationship yeah um, I really loved that insight and that that taste of reality.
0: Yeah, I think that line hits me so hard every time. It seems like a lot of her coping came from like getting success in like academia and, and like in her work life and her one box of her life. That's like very clean. We get to see because of this film, all the messiness underneath that, like everything that's mm. in the shadows. And I think one thing I really love about how this affects her relationship with her son is that we see a child like parenting the parent, which is a very complicated relationship. It happens often, especially if your parent has gone through extreme trauma. Even if they're doing the best fucking can, even if they're on their, they're on all the right meds, on having their best day of their life, like doing all the coping things they need to do to like be as functioning as they can at this moment in time, there's still going to be some level of responsibility that children will take on because they've been unfortunately conditioned in certain situations to do that. Like the fact that John knows exactly what medicine to give her when she has night terrors and there's a whole lot of them to like pick from, that was such a great detail because it's showing us that like, he's been taking care of her, we don't know how much, but he's been taking care of her enough to know Like, what meds to give her, and like, what are her triggers, and and acting in a way that's more like a counselor than actually her son. And there's moments too where she, he's kind of like, I I mean, it's funny because he's like definitely not a 17 year old in this movie, Josh Hartnett. (laughs) So it's always great. I'm like, this child, and I'm like, this like 30 year old man. (laughs) But I love when like, he's like, quoting back psychology terms to his mom in, in the way that teens do where they're like I just learned what this word means and I, I'm gonna <laughs> act like I know how this like deeply complex psychological issue works and I'm gonna tell you how to solve it and it's just it's mm-hmm. so perfect um, but it's all that work that we should never have to see a child do but I'm so happy we see it on right
1: and you see that almost the power struggle between them because of that kind of twisted relationship where They're taking care of each other in different ways. So when they have these head-to-head situations where, yeah, it's a traditional, you know, mother and son scenario, but because of the background and the history that they have, it makes it so much more difficult for her to say, no, you're not going to Yosemite. And for him to just say, okay, you're the boss. I just, I live for those moments of like, this is what real families are like. Yes. You know, this is an actual conversation that happens in many homes and many children have to look out for their parents in different ways than what we've seen on television or in movies. And yeah. so I appreciated this little bit of normalcy and it's not pretty or, you know, cleaned up. No part of the Strode history is pretty or clean, especially if you span from Michael's first kill to this moment in h2o there's no single part of her life that his killings
0: haven't touched yeah what do you think ryan
2: absolutely you guys are nailing it. i think it's a very good representation of intergenerational trauma yeah the drinking the controlling of her son and the the gun as well mm-hmm.
1: oh yeah yeah and when john is trying like you said to Spit back this pop psychology on, like, this is what you need to do. And, you know, it's totally understood. And yet, still not ignoring, but he's so close to the situation that he doesn't see all of this, all of these intricate ways that, you know, she's seeing her brother in windows. She's, you know, dreaming about him. Like, You know, he's talking to her like it's easy when, as if 20 minutes ago, he didn't just help her, you know, recover from hurting herself in a night terror. I love that display of the duality in those relationships and, and the compartmentalization that trauma forces us to enact.
0: Yeah, and I think it's really important that John lives through this film specifically for this reason, because he has gotten a taste of what his mother has endured for, like, decades. So she also gets that... I don't say justification it's not even validation it's it's like something in between that where it's like it's really annoying to be triggered a lot however sometimes your brain is alerting you to something and to patterns that are wrong and it's important to recognize and i feel like a big part of the story is her being like yes i know sometimes my brain is misfiring i'm working on it i got it but also i'm a functional adult and i think something is wrong i would like to be believed and that it gives her that I guess yeah let's just say validation it gives her that validation and that's also just like the honor of having that part of her story sympathy. also on the screen. sympathy yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah and so I think that's important that John now has to sit through and process everything he's done before like taking care of his mother every way he thought about her what he assumed was like an issue she could just get over because it's been uh, seventeen years, and that we don't get the answer to that. We don't get like a, a conversation around the dinner table. We yeah. don't. <laughs> we don't get like a, a Judy girl, like character just being like, "Oh, mom, you and your shut-in hole <laughs> in the wall." And it's just like what? Uh, it's it's messy. It's. That's a great
1: Judy girl impression.
0: Thank you, for that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, Yeah. And just like, it's not solvable, but it's also, you can survive it. And I think that's kind of the message of the film.
1: If you think about it, that's kind of, you know, a running theme throughout the franchise is, you know, it's not solvable. None of it. There's not a pretty bow you can put on anything. You just do your fucking best and move forward. Yeah. Um, Which is, which is really cool because the message is to move forward, but especially in the David Gordon Green movies, Laurie is very much stuck you know, in in re-traumatizing herself, in sitting in revenge as opposed to learning and pushing forward, which is what Laurie and H2O was doing, um, doing her best to learn and move forward. So I don't know. Do we want to talk about the Rob Zombie movies maybe and how are, how we feel about that?
0: uh... Yeah. I feel like they don't get talked about a lot. And one thing off the bat I'll say is that I just respect when like a director, like Rob Zombie comes in and is just like, I have my signature style. I'm going to put it on this like franchise. It's not going to be what you are looking for, but it's exactly what I'm looking for. And I really respect that.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I agree with that. I wish more franchises would take swings on directors with unique styles. Yes. I would love to see like a Robert Edgar's uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie. I think that oh would my be god, crazy. Oh god, are you kidding me?
0: Oh. It would definitely be like Victorian. You know it. It would be, be like, <laughs> it has to be a period piece. So it's like, what century have I not covered in time
2: yet? Freddy Krueger in the 1800s. Uh-huh. Book it.
1: Oh my gosh, slay.
0: He'll uh- be smithing <laughs> <like laughs> his hand. You know, the yes. whole like, all righty, all right. <laughs> Oh my effect,
1: gosh. It's though. also going to be weirdly <laughs> sexual somehow. I'm all for yeah. it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> But I would also, you know, there's this one Italian poster for Halloween 6 that is really like glam and kind of high fashion. There's like boobs on it. I love it. Um, But uh, I would love that. It kind of made me think now that we're talking about, you know, different directors doing different things. I would have loved to see like an Argento Halloween movie or something. That would have been the best. Can you imagine the magic? Of that. I mean it's
0: kind of already all close. It's close. Just to get yeah. someone a cane, maybe a cape.
1: Yeah. <laughs> maybe more gloves. More gloves. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't a, a big fan of Rob Zombie. I'm still totally not. I'm yeah. excited for the monsters though. I am very excited for that. But I do appreciate and love that he he stuck to what he was looking for. And there's a huge audience for that. I mean, especially, you know, all of the Rob Zombie lovers, but especially those who were looking for a more gritty slasher film. I wonder, would you still consider the Rob Zombie movie slashers or are they something else entirely?
0: That's a great question. I guess I would still call them slashers, but it's like, there's something about the aesthetic, like this like dreamy, like, yeah bad trip aesthetic bad
1: trip slatter. yeah <laughs> i like that bad trip slasher <laughs> what do you think?
2: Like the plot is still a slasher plot mm. i mean the vibes are very different yeah. i guess the question is like are the is the plot or the vibes what defines the genre of a movie yeah i feel like it's probably the plot
1: it has to be yeah i totally yeah. agree
2: so, I feel like it is a slasher, but it doesn't feel like a slasher in a lot of ways, like you guys are saying. It feels much grittier.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, and as you get with Zombie, but it's.
2: Yeah.
0: Just uh, think of who else we haven't talked about. There's so many good, so many good actors in this song. Like, I'm always blown away. Um, yes. From like baby Joseph Gordon Lovett to Michelle Williams. Can, Can we me- talk
1: about <laughs> the eyebrows? Heavens. <laughs> oh, I think all of the eyebrows of everyone or all the. Uh, you know, fems in this movie put together, make one set of Will Brennan's eyebrows.
0: Yes. It's that that time period that my eyebrows are still recovering from because for whatever reason we just wanted to tweeze everything off and just have like a straight line.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) like Like I, for some reason, I thought like I definitely just wanted the villain arch. I don't, I, what, why did I, what, I should have just gotten bangs. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. Did you not experience this, Ryan, in your in years? Your, uh, I did not. No. No?
2: Mm-hmm. no, I was in old <laughs> was Catholic high school. I don't think anyone knew what eyebrows were.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, there's also Jodie Lynn O'Keefe this in this movie, who was just like, for a short time, was just like the mean girl of like, late 90s, early 2000s. Like, she was in whatever it takes. She was, and uh, she's all that. She's like a yes. villainous girlfriend. And I love it. <laughs> this is a, probably the only times you get her to play outside of that like type. And she's the alt girl. That's like really trying to expand her
1: vocabulary. <laughs> she's very earnest. She's, she's, so she's earnest. like really wants to be weird. Um, And you know, I love the little Morticia Gomez relationship she has with the tiny skinny boy. Like it's adorable. <laughs> I love the line. Um, no sex games till I've eaten. I yeah. was like, yes, thank you. Someone gets it.
2: <laughs> that line is probably the most adult, Depiction of sex in any slasher I've seen.
0: <laughs> That's so true. Oh, we almost. Oh, do you want to talk about Nurse Marion? Especially since they brought Nurse Marion back for Halloween Kills.
1: Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. So,
0: her coming back in this film and how it was done?
1: I love that she came back. I love her little attitude. It never left for a second. Wasn't a huge fan that she died at all, but I like the way it was done. I thought that was very cool. And I just, you know, a little baby jo- Joseph Gordon-Levitt uh, with the ice skate to the face was yeah. not chef's <laughs> kiss. Yeah. <laughs> How do you guys feel about uh, Nurse Marion?
2: I feel, I cannot remember. What movie was she in first?
0: Halloween. She was in the first one, yeah. Like the oh, 1978.
2: Oh, I did not remember she's a recurring character.
0: She's that like Loomis is like lackey for Black. <laughs> Like, it's, like, in that time period where it's just, like, Meow. like, we're, like, kind yeah. of more of a bag and not, like, uh, trying to help out anyone necessarily. He's just, yeah, like. Yeah, she's uh,
1: usually, like, smoking a cigarette, like, yeah. next to him, like, fine. <laughs> well,
0: I'll, do I mean to answer this one, then, Right? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry.
2: It's
0: okay. Um, yeah, so, Nurse Mary returns. It's funny because, like, I've seen this movie, God, like, ten times, and... I always saw it as like a, I was always sad initially that she died, but this was the first time that I made my partner watch it. Cause like he doesn't like horror. It's a, been a thing where yeah. we've been slowly introducing some hits. Like I won him over with the witch that went well. <laughs> That's
1: great. Uh,
0: so just slowly being like, okay, I'll have to get more psychological and not as gory and just like rope you in. <laughs> um, but he was watching it and it was so funny. Cause he had a complete opposite reaction, which I thought was just funny to think about where he immediately was just like i'm sorry nurse marion is sending these children to go investigate a house for her and i was just like that's a great point she pretty much was like you can go die 11 year old and then he, he we she went, said
1: fuck, fuck them kids yeah <laughs> I
0: like, no, i'm not dealing with this shit i'm tired <laughs> um, but also like what i also love about that was like because of the way she dresses and looks is definitely like harking back to like a certain version of like like a sane asylum nurses and like abusive relationships and, and power dynamics back in like god 50s and earlier and in some cases still today um so it's a very she's still has that like villainous edge to her um yeah that she's,
1: she's very just, cookie's nest
0: exactly <laughs> right yes very like one who flew, flew over the cuckoo's nest vibes so like when she dies this time when i watched it I was actually like, yay! Because there was something about it where it was like, love when like slashers do that, where it's like, we're subtly like commenting on like systemic issues like that. Like the fact that Nurse Marion and Loomis pretty much like created Michael Myers in a way, like they definitely did a lot of bad shit to him that made him go off the rails uh, and that she gets punished. But like in a way that's like smart, delicious, there's anticipation, there's like- Enough visual. And it's
1: small. It's not yeah. overdone. It's just like yeah. a small boop. Like she got hers. It's yeah. great.
0: Yeah. She does come back for Halloween Kills. But how did you feel about how she came back for Halloween Kills? If you can't really remember where she was, that's probably because they didn't really care about her character that much.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> Halloween Kills in general. Oh, man. it was It was interesting. I appreciate all the characters they brought back. I just... There was a lot about Halloween Kills that I would have loved to see done differently, I guess. I guess i have to rewatch, but yeah um nurse marion i'm glad they brought her back i just don't really appreciate the very small way that she was brought back with very little thought
0: she's always just dying in this franchise this is like her <laughs> third day yeah i, just, I would like, be yeah. so
1: pumped if i got to die three times in a in a single
0: franchise wow <laughs> like
2: an accomplishment in itself
0: can't keep her down you know what i'd be down for like marion somehow returns and like i mean it's not gonna happen in Hollywood, so I'd- I have very, very low hopes for that film. But I would love if somehow, like Michael Myers, Nurse Marion just returns inexplicably and just gets her own slasher franchise. Like, I would be so here
1: for it. At this point, she's like the next Michael Myers with how many times she's come back. Like, people does not die tonight.
0: Not these kids. (laughs) I'm pissed.
1: Wait, did you see someone was like saying that Halloween ends, like the ENDS stands for?
0: Oh, God, no. Is this like never game? dies. Oh, my yeah. God. No.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Why? The discourse. Oh, gosh. I can't wait. <laughs> I
2: do feel like if Nurse Marion did get her own franchise, it would definitely not be a horror franchise. Oh, no,
1: definitely. it would be more like a Ratchet, like a Nurse yeah. Ratchet type deal. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: How did you feel about the big chop at the end of H2O? Oh,
0: oh, oh, I never thought about this. Okay, so I think, so I know why, It was retconned. Um, Obviously, McGuire's has to come back, blah, blah, blah. And so, like, the retconning of it is explaining to us in Halloween. Oh, God, I'm losing track of numbers now. Five?
2: Yeah. Is that it? Halloween. Is it Resurrection? This was was Halloween seven. So, Halloween eight is Halloween Resurrection.
0: Yes, Mm -hmm. the Resurrection. Cool. So, like, in that one, it's revealed that it was like an EMT behind the mask that she chopped the head off of. Oh, Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, (laughs) it's like, I'm like, so, so what I'm about to say, like, there's a moment where like he, this makes no sense for podcast listeners, but I'm touching my face as if my face is not my face right now. So he has this (laughs) moment of doing that, this like dissociative moment. And like, if you've seen other films, you're like, oh, it's because this is not the right dude. But when I was watching this time, pretending the other films didn't exist, I love the idea that like, right that moment, which is right around the same time where Michael Myers like reaches out his hand to Lori and she doesn't take it. And she finally pun intended, let's go,
2: <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> that like, there's this moment where it almost feels like he is like snapping back into reality, kind of like in an, a version mm-hmm. of reality, like it feels like yeah. it feels like his mind has just returned her, his body in a way that it hadn't been there before, where before he's just kind of just like this, like uh, meandering soldier, like mechanical thing that we call the shape because it doesn't even feel human. But there's a little bit of humanity that we see at that moment. And I love that, which I think makes the head trap work a lot where it's like, because you could see another version of Laurie Starr would be like, well, there's something in here that I can like sift through and like work through. And maybe there's some redemption, but we don't get that thankfully. And Laurie's just like, you know what? I think I need to like, like part of the healing process is just like letting go of some things. And she does it in a very dramatic way. And I love it.
1: It was yeah. so great. Like, I remember the first time I saw that ending, just being like,
0: yeah that's so cool
1: (laughs) and I was like this is it this they can't do another one why would they make it like he's dead Mm -hmm. they can't do it and like my sweet baby naive mind like didn't realize this is it doesn't matter
0: (laughs) does not matter
1: (laughs) yeah uh, you're right, that touching bit of humanity. I loved seeing that contemplation on Laurie's face yeah. where she's like, I can fix him. <laughs> like like mm-hmm. maybe we can be a family. And then having that, oh no, whoops, I was just in a car crash because I want to kill him. And boom, beautiful head rolls and then credits. Like, ah, so good.
2: So good. I read the, uh, the face touching differently than you did, Kath. I think the humanity was coming through and he's mm-hmm. making sure the mask was still there. Because I think like, oh. you ever work work at a job where you work wear a uniform, and like as soon as you put the uniform on, like, I'm not Ryan anymore. I'm produce clerk number four. I'm going <laughs> to load apples for the next five hours. And <laughs> don't talk to me. I'm not a human right now. I'm just here to uh, load apples. I, I, and like the uniform shirt and the hat just lets me be a different person or, or not be a person. And I feel like he's checking the mask to make sure he's not a person right now. So like to make sure he's the the void that he wants to be.
0: I love that. That's really beautiful. I, yeah, like that fear of like, what if the mask fell off? And I don't think the mask will fall off. And that's why Lori's like, well, then I have to chop off your head You
2: can <laughs> if you can't hide behind the mask. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating that he's more afraid of losing the mask than dying. Yes. So he doesn't try to defend himself in that moment. He tries to make sure you can't see his, his real face. Well, he's
1: had less success with keeping the mask on than he has with dying. Like he, he doesn't <laughs> die, but the mask has come off. <laughs> so he, I guess in that moment, he's like, not again. And he's just like, I need to keep it together. You're right. I do see that mask as that, like, wait, do I, am I covered? Like, is mm-hmm. someone going to see me?
0: Yeah. Do we, how do we feel about, cause I realize we've only been in rightfully so, talking about Lori most of the time. <laughs> but speaking of Michael Myers, like, how do we feel about him being masked or unmasked? Like, should the mask always stay on with Michael Myers? Definitely comes off on Halloween Kills, so who knows what will happen with Halloween End.
1: I like the mask. I'm I'm fine with keeping it, and, like, maybe it's not, um, maybe it changes, or I I want to see an appearance of the mask, just because, like, It's Halloween. You got to have the mask. But I have loved every little like peek behind the mask that we've gotten. That's always been so fun to me. And again, just gives it that little bit of personification that he's not perfect. He is vulnerable at some times. And so it gives you that little bit of false hope that you could kill him and that you could get to him if you just got that mask off long enough. I think that's really that's, you know, one of the many reasons I hope the mask returns. But I like it. I like it a lot. 100%.
2: One hundred percent. I want the mask back, and I want the moments when he loses it to be like, like Blaine said, huge moments. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't overdo them, but we need them because we need that vulnerability.
0: Mm-hmm. So the Gay Lords of Darkness podcast has a great reactionary episode to uh, Halloween Kills. And one of their main takeaways was how the entire character arc for Laurie Strode is just her body going from one side of a hospital bed to another. <laughs> like that <this> is as thoughtful. <laughs> which, is, which is brutal, but like not untrue. So I would love to hear, what do we hope that like Laurie gets to do when Halloween ends?
1: Cause you know, we, we've seen the teaser uh, so far and somehow she ends up back in her 1978 outfit with the slick down hair and she looks very polished and everything but this is all supposed to take place in one night yes so like or, or at least like within a small time yeah. frame. So I want the makeover montage. <laughs> Where'd she find the time? Did Judy Greer get in there? Was it a whole family thing? Everybody just yeah. tackled Laurie to like tame her again. <laughs> like I need to see that. Um, That's my big thing. I, I'm ready for anything. Like everybody can <laughs> die. That's fine. I just need yeah. to know where she found the time.
2: Yeah, because
0: wasn't all like the hair salonists at the time in the streets chanting people die tonight? 500 times <laughs> <laughs> like oh it's just like it just like it was like a
1: town mandate <laughs> it
0: was a town mandate you had to <laughs> what about you Ryan what do you want to see with Lori and Halloween ends
2: I would love to see her do anything that is not related to, to Michael Myers because mm. so I get it she's got the trauma and this is a less nuanced portrayal than H2O or something H2O she has like a whole life yeah. outside of the trauma as well as the trauma because like yeah people with trauma especially like 40 years later, I feel like you still have trauma, but you've like hobbies too, you know, that are unrelated <laughs> to trauma, knitting. Um, Lori has been eating for all of these years. Like, what does she like to eat? What is she, is she a hard drinker too, like the, the Lori and H2O? It's a little yeah. more of her, especially like the things that make her
1: Yeah. Now I will say like in Halloween and Halloween Kills, I was a bit taken aback by just how antisocial or like asocial she is. She doesn't know how to conduct herself around people and everything. And you know, People with trauma, especially mothers with trauma, have gotten so very good, especially at the age that Laurie is in, in the uh, trilogy, at compartmentalizing and masking that those emotions or, you know, whatever is going on in their brain. But like, I was really, I thought it was a disrespect to Lori as a character to show her as someone who just doesn't know how to function in society.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, oh, this reminds me of a, a, a really long time ago, me and Ryan were talking about Lights Out and how it does a, a similar thing in where it just depicts people as these weird cutout figures of what someone imagines a mental illness is. And you're like, <laughs> uh, you didn't even try? Like the one hurdle that's like the hardest for me with uh, how they depict Laurie in the David Gordon Green, Green trilogy is that she has no connection at all to her daughter and her granddaughter. Like I understand that the movie is hand waved away. Like, Oh, because she had so much trauma, her child then like went to like her aunt or, or somewhere to be taken care of. So she wasn't really involved in her life, but like this is a Lori Strode that was sacrificing her life as a teen for a kid that was, she was just babysitting. She could have easily curtailed it the fuck out of there and been like, not my kid, not my problem. <laughs> but but right. even though she's obviously getting attacked too and chased, but she stays. Works really hard as a babysitter to like, to protect people. So like, and she goes to try to help all of her friends. Like she's not, I don't quite understand what happened to then make her not need any social connections in her life. Yeah. Again,
1: that goes back to it just being a cutout, like, oh, she's so traumatized. She's beyond making connections with other people. And yeah, I, I agree. That seems like a stereotype or um a hyperbole of yeah. uh, one mental illness.
0: Yeah. And there's um there's a moment in the 2018 Halloween where he kind of harkens back to H2O. Or I, I guess it's supposed to be like an homage <laughs> there's a moment where she's at the dinner table with her daughter and her granddaughter and she chugs a glass of wine and it's like ah uh, like the whole reason why the wine worked in this one was because of how like concealing and secretive she was about her alcoholism and that she was smart enough to wait for her date to go to the bathroom and to time it right so that she could sneak in another drink while still on the surface looking like she was drinking a quote-unquote like acceptable amount for like 12 p.m. and then like a Friday or whatever Yeah, this was like right. a,
2: a school person on a lunch break yes, yes. <laughs> yeah she's going back to work with children when she yes, finishes yes. this line mm-hmm. she's gonna drive them <laughs>
0: well even she's even yeah. smart enough to be like asked she asked her son's friend to drive them yeah and her son doesn't even ask because he already knows uh like that's I'm like that's how you do it just don't have her be like
1: and then put all the focus on whatever John was doing and yeah. do not bring any attention yes. to why you were in town. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah, secrecy like see behind it. So yeah, like the throwing back the wine, you know, at dinner like it was nothing. Like I could understand if in the past 20 years maybe she's just like, "Well, fuck it, I don't care anymore. Like I'm going to drink my wine." But that's not how it came through. Yeah. It came through as she never at any point masked her struggle Mm -hmm. which just doesn't it's not realistic
2: I think it also doesn't work on the level of like I think they're trying to portray her as someone who's constantly vigilant and I feel like if you're being constantly vigilant you're also being sober
0: I think a version of that character but yeah I could see that I could see it like either way but I think yeah i think it shows a carelessness at that time she's like very convinced michael is coming so i think that she would be preparing more yeah
1: yeah Mm -hmm. i mean i could see it as like trying to dull that vigilance because it's like just hyper anxiety but again it's not how it is portrayed on screen it's like just this lapse in judgment yeah (laughs) what a complicated character and what a complicated (laughs) franchise i love it oh
0: man
2: in my head when i saw 2018 i assumed she had like 20 years where she was good and Mm. then her daughter moved out and then she got like this but that Mm. is not on screen at all it's just like a thing my brain invented as i watched the movie
0: i mean i would have also loved to see that version like who's to say that like again watch it happen i'm gonna be like god damn it but i i doubt that halloween ends is gonna do like flashback or not even flashbacks but like go back in time I think that like the films have been pretty linear so I'd be I'd literally jump out of my seat if they had a chapter where we saw more of like Judy Greer I don't even remember this is how much I don't invest in their relationship I don't remember her daughter's name in the David Gordon Green oh I don't
1: remember either and I don't, I don't remember anybody's <laughs> name because the nobody is a character or like nobody is three-dimensional in in the trilogy it's it's disappointing uh, it's <laughs> unfortunate. <laughs> all that to say I will be there with bells on on October 14th
0: <laughs> I know I know so that's, that's how you know white men wrote the script they're just like let's give us a grizzled old man and then we'll just put Laurie Strode's wig and his uh, <gasps> person and maybe Jamie Lee Curtis won't have it the role <laughs> 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 I, can't, I
2: can't
1: that sounds exactly right like I feel that with that logic I'm sure at the very beginning all of these dudes got together and they're like yeah, Laurie Strode's dead. Let's just bring in like her son or something. And like, it's going to be a dude franchise now. We're yeah, rebuild it. And then, yeah, they're like, oh wait, nobody's going to watch that. Guess we got to get Laurie back.
0: It's just so funny how they marketed this as like, the generation of strode women when it's not about the women at all they're not full characters I, they're almost all dead now <laughs> i'm not invested in their relationships with each other i have no idea of their histories i now just want to see the film that ryan mentioned get made about their life before halloween yeah
1: everyone is used as a means to an end as opposed to being having their own motivations for wanting to kill michael myers
2: yeah wow do you have any closing thoughts? My favorite scene is when uh, Adam accidentally shoots Ronnie. I I just, a thing I love in any film where there's a gun and someone untrained is holding it, I don't want anyone to ever say, you just point and click, which is like the, the trope, you point and click. And then the, someone who's never used a gun before is like a fucking expert now, I hate that shit. I think it really gets into people's heads. Yes. And I think it's really bad. I love scenes like this one where, he sees a shape, he grabs the gun, he shoots him accidentally six times. <laughs> we well, he shoots at him six times. He just grazes his head, apparently. Like this scene, the one in The Strangers with the closet. I love scenes where someone who's trying to use a gun kills someone by accident because like 95% of the time, if you have a gun, that's what's gonna happen.
1: I loved that as well. And it was kind of delicious to, just to kind of be like, dumbass. Like, of course you don't just grab a gun and start shooting were you thinking there's a reason laurie wasn't shooting yet and so i was also just very mad and i don't like will brennan because he shot LL cool j
0: then the film punishes it like punishes him too like almost a second later. like immediately Yeah. <laughs> just like we don't need this this is not the story yeah. we're not white knighting this if you didn't get the message we're literally axing you in this potential storyline yes. right here
1: just for has. listeners, I love the I love that as you were saying that Cass, you were like oh. miming, stabbing <laughs> someone like this is your fault. You did this yeah. to yourself. Stab. It's great. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, have, Ryan. No
2: <laughs> problem. He also had the nastiest death. Like he got stabbed through the spine, and his legs were jittering. He had yeah, and they the like most- dragged it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and there's um, the one thing I that came through this time around that like I think I missed last time. It feels so much of the like, like influenced by the Craven Scream Hour, because there's yes. so many like. <laughs> like okay. yeah,
1: well like the the uh, soundtrack are the a lot of it is shared between Scream and H2O yes. and there were a couple other movies of that era where they also had the same um composer or or soundtrack and that is something I personally would love to see come back like just yeah. I want to see Scream and Halloween go back and forth like again like show clips of each other's movies on the little screens and them and like oh yeah we're just going to use the same sound track boop like it's adorable I love that little
0: horror movie love yeah like I think what's so cool is because at the time that it was happening it was like it was a nostalgia it was like this movie just like scream 2 had just come out and they're watching scream 2 in Halloween HBO and you're like of course you would because they're teens and they like horror and it's like a Halloween time like it's a nice way to like have these films that are similar style wise like be in conversation with each other without necessarily being like have you seen prom night and it's
2: like (laughs) (laughs) Kevin Williamson was a producer on this one. Oh, that and explains it. I feel it. like, absolutely feel him in the because It's so, like, quippy, especially with the teens. And yeah. there's so many, like... Just meta references. Not a ton, actually, in this one. There's, an, there's enough meta reference to, like...
1: Great point with the diction and the just the way the teens speak. It definitely harkens to Scream a lot.
0: Just imagine him writing scripts. And I just imagine him, like, having a thesaurus out all the time with these teen characters. <laughs> like, when that character was trying to find the right word to describe her feeling at the beginning. Um, <laughs> J- Jody's character... Uh,
1: Oh yeah, grotesque. Oh. It's uh, it's <laughs> loathsome. No, no, I can I could think of it. Like I, I love thinking about the writing of that script and just being like, okay, thesaurus. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
2: I can't remember where I heard it, but someone described Kevin Williams' dialogue so well. It's not how teens talk, it's how teens wished they talked. Mm. Yes. Really it's definitely exactly.
1: how I thought I spoke as a teen.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And I like I love too the the like the slide and jump scares. Like, cause there's not many deaths in this movie. A lot of the like jumpy moments are just someone being like, hey, hi, mm-hmm. like around a corner. But it's
1: done so well. It's not like Jesus, yeah. enough with the jump scares. It's, it's actually tantalizing. It's beautiful.
2: Yeah. I think only three people died in the school. I think the scene at the beginning, they definitely padded out their kill count with him murdering oh, yeah. little baby Joseph Gordon-Levitt <laughs> with the ice skate. <laughs>
1: best death to me to me oh, that absolutely. was like oh gorgeous I love it neither his uh what's well, his suspension uh record nor his stick that he was so proud of could save him from Michael Myers wrath beautiful think
2: he got to take a sip of one of those beers I knew
1: you were gonna
0: ask that I,
1: <laughs> I want to think so I I hope so <laughs>
2: this is a more serious question do you think that death would be as impactful if it wasn't baby joseph gordon levitt like a major star now oh would we care as much
1: i don't i don't know that i would like it as much if it wasn't joseph gordon levitt
0: (laughs) yeah and josh hartnett's bangs also like the era of like I always find it funny I feel like whenever I watch this movie every single time I want to tweet like a photo of Gail Weathers bangs from uh Scream (laughs) three and Josh Hartnett's bangs and just like it was a moment I don't know what happening.
1: just vibes vibes. (laughs) Uh, but I love the quip that LL Cool J had whenever he lets the boys go into town he just quickly calls after Josh Hartnett (laughs) calls after him he goes comb your hair and you hear that little Brooklyn accent but also like he sounds like a father it's like so cute I love it so much
0: I would love to see him more in horror roles because I was obsessed with Penny Dreadful when it came out and I thought he did great I thought he did great in that series it got canceled like after two seasons three seasons it was three just
1: bullshit Penny Dreadful's uh, I mean as a as stories are fantastic I would love to see that continued on TV yeah Here's
0: (laughs) Here's open. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's all my thoughts on the film. Does anyone have any like facts or things to share?
1: I don't have anything else. Um, the mask in this one was good. <laughs> The mask was okay in this one. And then in Resurrection, again, you get another crappy mask, but you get Buster Rhymes in that mask, which I think cancels out the <laughs> why.
0: <laughs> the property of Buster Rhymes cancels out any of the masks. Exactly. <laughs> what about you, Ryan? I have
2: one last thought. I just love that they were making jokes about how old Michael Myers was in 1998. <laughs> and now we're getting like, 25 mm-hmm. years later. We're still getting more same timeline michael myers different continuity at the same timeline
0: so like we saw how pearl was amazing next like wouldn't it be funny funny. to have a michael myers who was just elderly like why not
1: (laughs) just puttering around he has a a little hunch now but he's still just
0: as spry (laughs) well thank you blaine for joining us do you have anything you'd like to plug uh, also, I forgot to mention just up at the, the top of the episode, but Lane is now officially a contributing editor to Fangoria, Congratulations.
2: which is so
0: exciting. And also, Yay. I know uh, Hear Us Scream just had a zine that came out. So if you want to talk about any, either, all, please take the stage.
1: <laughs> Ooh, wow. So hello, everyone. Um, yes, I would like to plug one. Hear Scream is a fantastic site, anthology, zine now. Um, they now officially have a horror zine with lots of stories, um, just art, beautiful stuff that you should look at. It's supporting indie horror, and I really hope everyone um, takes a moment to give them some love. But yes, I am also a contributing editor at Bangoria, and I'm so excited. You should definitely subscribe, um, at least to the newsletter. That's a beautiful thing every Friday, but definitely um, to the um, Uh, the actual magazine because it's fun and I'm in it. (laughs) But other than that, uh, I also do a podcast called Ladies and Ligaments. Um, It's where I invite queers and horror fans and just all the coolest people talking about horror right now to talk about heteronormative themes or heteronormative movies or just things that the straights love or have gotten from horror that um, the rest of us would really like to partake in or talk about or gripe about. So Give it a listen. I'd love to have um, both of you on at some point, just to talk about absolutely anything and everything horror-related. Oh yes, "Ladies and Ligaments" comes back for season two on September fifth. That's everything for me. Thank you both so much. This has been such a treat. I love that I got to gab about Halloween with you both for an hour.
0: Yeah, this is fantastic. It's one of those things where sometimes Twitter. Is not such a hell like because you get to meet people that are just fun and creative and talk horror, and then you get to actually like sometimes do fun podcasts, which is what a gift.
1: <laughs> yes, I'm so grateful. Thank you both very much.